I think that that very pedantic take is um, <laughs> accurate. You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast that critically and charitably examines the songs that are sung in the church. I am Colin, a history professor in the Midwest of the United States, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Tyler. Hello. That's all you have to say, Tyler, is hello? Yeah. Should I say more? (laughs) What? (laughs) You say what you want. Uh, okay, uh, I'm Tyler, I play the banjo. And you actually play a real banjo, you don't play one of those fake guitar joes or whatever they're called, where people claim they play the banjo, but they're really playing a guitar that just They play a six-string banjo and they tune it like a, an acoustic right. guitar. No, right. I have a five-string banjo. And, I, may, actually, this might disqualify me from playing a, a proper banjo. I, um, removed the back plate and I put in a guitar pickup. And I put the back plate back on so I could run my banjo through all the pedals for my electric guitar and have some like really, really mm. heavy reverb and stuff on it. So it sounds yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, the mayor of Nashville is already sending out uh, a, a <laughs> APB letting everybody know that you're not allowed in that city. Yeah, that's fine. There's a <laughs> warrant out for your arrest for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and as you can hear, we're joined by a third individual, a, a guest host today, Stephen Henning from the Ravel podcast. Uh, Stephen is CEO and founder of the Highline Media Network. And in addition to Ravel, he also hosts the podcast, uh, No Normal People, K-N-O. He's a co-host of that podcast, lives in Billings, Montana. So coming to us all the way from not quite the West Coast, but the West West. Mountains. We got the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if uh, that's any way related to your name, Montana. I'm just making a really dumb joke. Wait, what? Yeah. No, I get it. (laughs) I don't get it. What are you... (laughs) Like, the name of Montana is literally Spanish for uh, mountains. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Hadn't you, had you never thought of that, Colin? No, I have never thought of, I had never figured that. I had no idea. I thought it was named after Hannah Montana. Oh, I thought, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oddly, Uh, that is a claim to fame that we do not deserve because she's, to my knowledge, she's never been here. No. Why would she? I don't know. Yeah. What's a marketing thing, though? I mean, yeah, very much, very much uh, so. Billy Ray Cyrus's daughter isn't a really clever name for a show, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Achy Breaky true. Heart 2.0. I, I don't know what you could talk about. 2.0 Junior. Achy Breaky Heart yeah, Junior. That's true. Yeah. But well, we're not um, looking at that today. What are we looking at today? No. Today, we are actually reviewing a song. So if you want to get more acquainted with Steven, you can listen to last week's episode where we interviewed him for an hour. Uh, so that should be, uh, so, you know, you listen to that on a nice long car ride. Uh, that should be good listening. We really enjoyed that interview. But today we're going to actually review a song with Steven. It's going to be So I Will 100 Billion 10. Oh, wait, so no, sorry. I. I'm reading that like a Roman historian. 100 so billion I. X, 100 billion <laughs> times. There you go. Is that what we're talking about? So will I. Yeah. So, so, oh, so will I? It's so yeah. will I. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I, I messed this up in so many ways. All right. <laughs> oh, Colin, you're so fun. Can you do your joke again? Can you No, I'll just leave all this in. I'm just I'm just the people can know how the people are used to awkwardness on this show. That's what it's gonna be. By Hillsong. By Hillsong yes. is the band. I got that one right. You did? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So we're gonna look at that song, and believe it or not, we're gonna review it competently, I promise. And uh yeah, so what we do on the podcast when we review a song is we uh, kind of give a summary of the song. Tyler, I'm going to make you do that. And Stephen, you can join as well. And then we're going to go through lyric by lyric, look at the look at sort of each, <clears throat> each bit of the song section, and then we'll give some concluding thoughts and offer a rating. Now, Stephen, uh, obviously don't tell us your rating now, but, but did you prepare a rating for this song? I have prepared a rating, yes. Oh, I'm very exciting. And, and, uh, we are going to, uh, we don't tell each other what the rating is going to be out of. It's out of five somethings. And so this, this is, this is going to be exciting. This is going to be good. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I guess let's get it started. Tyler or Steven, maybe you 
can give us a sense as to what the song So I Will is about, what it's doing. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. The song So Will I. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> oh, bad. I got to just change this. I keep reading my thing here. All right. Amazing. Go ahead. It's in the notes. It's like yep. Will I Am, but instead of Will <clears throat> I Am, it's So Will I. Yeah. yeah. Um, this song is interesting. It talks about creation. And so we have uh, galaxies and stars, and we have um, creatures, so created beings. We have the sky, the heavens, the mountains, the oceans, the rocks, all these different uh, natural creations and uh, creations of life uh, being described and described in their praise of God. And then we have a depiction of how God um, chased down the singer's heart and um a description of christ's death on the cross um and how that death brought new life to the singer um and then the title which is of course or the, i guess i should say the subtitle the part in parentheses in the title uh comes from the tag at the very end um where uh where the singer says like you would again a hundred billion times and so for future historians that x in the title uh, is not a 10 like Colin thinks, um, nor is it the letter X. It's an abbreviation for multiplication. Um, is that a decent summary, Stephen? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I'm just try I'm trying to do the math on how the Roman numerals would depict billion, but I'm getting <laughs> oh. I'm getting very lost in the letters. Like after M. <laughs> They, yeah, uh, they do. They do use billion, but typically the way that this works, this is a, a, this is the weeds. But I love typically this. the way it works is the the thousands, or sometimes even the hundreds of thousands, um, are are implied. So they just don't. Wow. They just don't give like zeros or anything like that. They don't have that concept. So it would it might just read as a hundred huh. but you just have to know be, from the context of what's being discussed that that means a hundred million or something like so that so if you or, have like an m for millennium right or like a thousand a thousand yeah anything beyond that they they just might assume based on context clues yeah on context yeah fascinating mm -hmm. okay yeah I said that mostly yeah. as a joke, but today I learned something that's amazing no so and that's why sometimes numbers in uh in Latin sources can be a bit tricky because ah. you don't you, you don't always know if this is saying like the rent was so like there's a famous inscription where it, again I'm really getting the weeds there's a famous inscription which talks about the rent of a building and people don't know if these traders are talking about like a small building that was 400 uh uh sesterces a year or if they're talking about a giant warehouse huh. you know that that was thousands you know of sister she's a year so interesting or tens of thousands or whatever so yeah fascinating anyway hmm. yeah there you go uh interestingly you know you could kind of with this song you've got a hundred billion times but of course the, the you can't fit that many times of saying something in a song correct and it also has a hundred million views on youtube so a hundred billion times a hundred million views this song has received on YouTube. So very, very popular song, I have to say. Uh, can we get into the lyrics, I think? You, let's, uh, let's get right into it. We've got the first section. God of creation There at the start Before the beginning of time With no point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of life God of creation There at the start Before the beginning of time With no point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of light What is going on in this verse? Well, uh, we can start with this first line, right? God of creation I think that's a... a very good description of God. He is the uh, God of all creation, and he is the creator himself. So I think um, no qualms about that. Um, he was there at the start. I find that uh, also biblical, right? This is this is like Genesis 1-1, uh, but repackaged uh, in the beginning. Um, and then we have before the beginning of time. So uh, this is interesting cosmology because um, <laughs> he was just there at the start, but now he's before it. 
And so I think yeah. what it's saying is is uh, infinite eternity past as well as eternity. So okay. the, the created universe in terms of time and space and matter um, uh, is predated by God, which I think is fine. Uh, this is a weird one, Tyler, yeah. I thought, because uh, how, do, how do you encapsulate a complex cosmetological and quite frankly, philosophical issue like before time? How do you encapsulate that in a song? I mean, do you, or, or maybe Steven, do you, I mean, do you think that they have, is this a good way to do that? It, does this, does this work? I mean, I kind of thought it did, but I don't know what you, either of you thought. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with the way they started this off. I guess the way I receive these lyrics every time I listen to it or the way I read it is it's, it's talking about our start, like there at the mm-hmm. start of, just like Tyler said, like the, the created universe as we know it there at the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. And then we'll... And then we just lend an idea of, but he preceded that in some meaningful way, right? And then brought mm-hmm. it about. And that's what the rest of the verse does. There's like a double mm-hmm. metaphor going on here mm-hmm. because uh, these prepositions that we use to talk about time are also, in a sense, used figuratively. So when we say before, uh, now that would literally mean in front of, but of course we use that all the time. In a figurative sense, we're talking about time. So um, yeah, I, I think that's a little bit interesting. But right. this next this next line, I don't like. I'm just going to be honest. With no point of reference, I don't, hmm. I don't know what, wh- why he's his own point of reference. I would think, or um, uh, is he is he meant to be lost <laughs> or uh, confused, or is this trying to depict creation ex nihilo, so from nothing? Um, I I just don't know, and I would actually think probably not, because then we have these lines following that you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. Now, this to me that does not sound like creation ex nihilo. That sounds like um, well, God speaking into the dark, which He does separate darkness from light. Um, but fleshed out to me sounds like He's taking something that was maybe hidden in that and brought it to fruition hmm. or he's working with something that uh, was there but was disordered and he's bringing it to order. Um, that just, to me, that seems very, very different than creation from nothing, um, which is the orthodox view on that. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, so the way no point of reference sat with me, it more reminded me, I guess it more reminds me of like Genesis 1-2 in the sense of the earth was without form and void, mm-hmm. right? And I guess what what you may be speaking to is I, I've heard um, theologians try to speak of, right, the, the waters that the spirit was hovering over kind of represent mm-hmm. like a primordial chaos in a way. And we're going to like bring land out of that and give that land light in the days of creation following, right? Um, yeah, I, I think the, the the point of reference mostly gave me vibes of, you know, everything was without form until God spoke that form, right? Which is, it's kind of a Platonist idea to, to really get into it, the world of forms and whatnot. But, um, and then fleshing out the wonder of light, this reminded me of the uh, the beautiful ways the first chapter of John speaks of Jesus being the light and like the idea of, you know, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness that does not understand it, comprehend it, and it like cannot handle it essentially. And like the idea yeah. of Jesus being the light of the world who puts on flesh, the, these are all the things that these lines in this verse are giving me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. think it's very heavily foreshadowing already that we're going to talk about Jesus a lot by the end. Mm. That Stephen, that's what I thought too, although I didn't make that connection until later on in the song when the that light of the world comment is made. But then I, that if that's if that is the case, if that's what they're going for, I do think that's a bit of a problem because mm. you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. Does is that you know could that be taken as uh. Jesus being a kind of created being? Like, and, and I'm sure that's not what they mean. I'm sure I I don't think they're you know Jehovah's Witnesses or anything like that. I don't I don't think that's I, I don't want to you know <laughs> impute impute heresy to uh to hillsong without better evidence than that but <laughs> at the very least it's a little bit confused i found this a little bit confusing for the reasons you mentioned it it seems to have ties with ch- chapter one of john and and also something that and, and the metaphor or and the title that christ uses um they reference that later on it just that to me is uh it's just a bit confusing and and conflating about this hmm. i do have to say uh I, I like I like the idea of where that might be going 
Um, <laughs> I don't think personally, well, but no, no, but here's what I mean. And here's why I like that, right? Fleshing out, you can almost imagine incarnate, right? Like the carn root meaning flesh, uh, being implied here. But I just, I just can't give it that because it, that, ver- that verse sounds like it's talking about creation. Uh, there at the mm. start before the beginning of time with no point of reference, he spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. Yeah. Now, I first think, day, um, right? There's light and there's dark, and that's the first yeah, day. So I read that as being about creation. Um, I, I suppose there's also perhaps the um, maybe the um, the plan of salvation being hinted at here that um, that this this was already foreordained. What was going to happen with Christ? Yeah. Um, even mm-hmm. at creation, which I think it, that's fine. Um, but I think that's a little bit of a stretch from what we have here. Sure. And Colin, to your point about the it tempting the interpretation or teasing the interpretation that Christ was created, I think uh, it does more than that later in the song, and I have uh, an example to give okay. that. Interesting. Okay. Why don't I, actually, why don't I just say it now? On, in verse yeah. 3, it says, On a hill you created the light of the world. <gasps> it says that. So it... Now, like, I, maybe we could do this when we get to that <laughs> verse. But, please, no, please tell me. <laughs> but if, when you listen, if you listen to the phrasing in the music itself, I think the you created is referring to the hill yeah. and not the light of That's the world. That's what I hear too. Right? So like yeah. on, a, oh. on a hill you created, like within the creation that you made, <laughs> you were scapegoated and you were like okay. brought to yes. a horrifying death, right? Okay. Well, that clarifies that a, few. Uh, a little bit for me. Maybe that's, that's well, right, Tyler. I was you thinking- still... <laughs> I was like, Nicaea. I mean, I just, we have this so clear. Begotten, not made. I, I may have just Tyler, earned another star for your review, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, you're, you've got a, a bright career ahead of you as a journalist. You just took something out of context, <laughs> twisted it around, yep. oh, made it into something it wasn't. So speaking of context... Um, no, I read it in context. It did not sure. have punctuation to imply that. Uh, that's fair. Most lyrics don't, though, right? Unless it's yeah. a good hymn. Again, see my interview last week, but um, the uh, the context as well is I kind of wonder if they wanted, huh, ironically, if they wanted to use the word wonder because this song is on the album Wonder that was non- nominated uh, for the double word. Like it could be they're just like looking for a word to like draw another through line for the theme of the record. Mm, I don't uh, know. That seems reasonable to me. No, there are several, I, that seems reasonable. There are several hints in this song in, in my reading of it that that show that suggests they purposefully picked certain words, mm-hmm. and so these the, you know the marketing people at Hillsong might know what they're doing, sure. uh, and and may have I, you th- think? I, that's a reasonable theory. Yeah, it, <laughs> I do. I guess one more <laughs> point right. on light before we move on to the chorus is um, in the sense of uh, what the the little bit of time I spent in college doing physics classes and. I took an optics class as a math major. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is ultimate like charitable take that I'm trying to give this lyric if we have a problem with it. But um, kind of speaking to the idea that we know as physicists, like the dual nature of light, like wave particle duality to it. And even that can, it just kind of stumps us when you think about that too long, right? We have like the double slit Mm. experiment that shows upon observation it can act like a particle or can act like a wave like that's wondrous in my opinion so Mm -hmm. that might be something again i don't know if we can mine that deep to find that though Mm -hmm. no but it's uh, observation oh yeah uh okay well let's get into the chorus here and as you speak a hundred billion galaxies aboard And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart and everything you make. Every burning star signal fire grace. And if creation sings your praises, so I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, 
so will I. Tyler, thoughts mm. about this one? Okay, so um, it, it is still, I think, going through the uh, creation narrative. So we, we've separated light from darkness, and then now we're going to separate the um, waters that are above from the waters that are below, right? We're going to... Um, the, the galaxies are born. The hundred billion number is uh, interesting here. I don't know if it's meant to be... Obviously, it's not meant to be completely literal, where it's like, oh, yeah, exactly, you know, not 999 billion, 999 million. Yeah, a big number. Yeah, massive number of galaxies. The only thing I put in my notes for this was 100 billion is a good way to convey large amounts of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And it also gives the lyricist a lot of syllables to play with to match up Mm. (laughs) later in the song. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's a convenient way to say a lot of numbers, I think. Tyler, I was just wondered, so, you know, as a linguist, I wondered if you had a problem with, uh, a- and as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In other words, in the verse, oh. we just learned about God as actually doing the creation and being active in creation. But what technically is being described here is a correlation, uh, not ca- not causality. So now, obviously, this is very persnickety, very (laughs) persnickety. But nevertheless, um, you know, you what all he's saying is that, or all that the the writer of the song is saying is that two things happen concurrently. There isn't there isn't actually a causal connection. Am I reading that right, Tyler? Am I look? Am I seeing something wrong here? No, I think that that very pedantic take is um, (laughs) accurate. Uh, It is it is merely saying that these two things are happening concomitantly or at the same time, yeah. it is not implying a causal relationship. Sure. Now, obviously, um, obviously, it's clear what they mean, but uh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. And in the vapor of your breath, the planets form. Does anyone have any ideas what's going on? I have a few. I think certainly I imagine that there's some artistic license happening, kind of imagining moments between the first day and the second day as the Genesis narrative gives it to us, right? The second day we have the land, um, or is it, yeah, the land separated from the waters. Um, but if, if we're going to describe that happening on one planet, maybe the artistic liberty is saying like, we see other planets out there, right? With our telescopes and with our new amazing James Webb technology. So um, this must be happening elsewhere in, in some way. I think mm-hmm. as well, you already kind of spoke to it, but the it brings to mind the idea of like the firmament kind of being that thick layer of like vaporous water in the atmosphere that, you know, maybe, or maybe we did not lose, Mm -hmm. um, like when the heavens open up during the flood in Genesis seven, but just that idea of things being, uh, wet. Right. And, you know, I don't know if fog is necessarily Mm -hmm. the metaphor they're going for either, but, um, it certainly Mm -hmm. gives, it certainly gives like an element of intimacy almost to the idea Mm -hmm. of God speaking is like, you know, if you've ever spoken very closely to a spouse or something, right, you feel the warmth of their breath. Um, it This reminded me of Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth, right? Like, mm. Um, mm. It, gives, it gives a lot of, uh, I think, worthy power to the idea of God mm-hmm. breathing out and things happen as, uh, I have to be careful with as, as I just learned with Colin, but like, <laughs> when God speaks, things happen right and like things that maybe not would have happened otherwise Uh, i was just gonna say i like that point because uh the act of creation can seem distant and god's creation through means of speaking can seem almost abstract or certainly so strange as to be disassociated from I don't know, something we can relate to. And I, I, you're right to call attention to the idea of the vapor of breath. It, 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 it reminds me of a um, Andrew Peterson song where it talks about Christ resurrecting and it talks about Christ's heart beating and his lungs filling with breath. And it's a bit more visceral and bodily. Yeah. And although God doesn't have a body, it is nevertheless, this kind of imagery is a way to just say, mm. this really happened. Yeah. This was a real thing that happened, and when the Bible says God spoke, um, or when God breathes life, um, that that we should actually take that seriously and see it as not just a, a like poetic that this is real. Yeah, hmm. I also think of the idea of like walking out in the winter and you you breathe and you you have that cloud of breath that comes out if you're 
walking in sub freezing temperatures kind of conveys as well that idea of like God is bringing a, um, an element of warmth to like mm. the cold vacuum of space. Right. Mm. Like yeah. things coalesce in the breath as warmth is introduced to an otherwise pretty cold place. Right. Mm. I wondered if, um, this was going somewhat figurative and, and deep, um, in that we remember from Genesis one to B and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So what hovers vapor mm. kind of hovers kind of floats. Um, but this, uh, this disturbed me a little bit because I guess maybe I was being pedantic and I'm thinking, well, like Colin said, he doesn't have a body. Um, he, he doesn't, uh, expire. Like he doesn't exhale the way we do with water vapor, moisture getting in his breath. But then I thought about breath the, the Hebrew word for breath, of course, is ruach, which also means spirit. And uh, like I said a moment ago, we don't expire mm. or inspire from spiro, Latin, also meaning breath. I wonder if what's happening here is that um, the spirit, uh, the, the breath here is referring to the Holy Spirit hovering mm. over the waters or uh, in some ways being present in creation yeah. mm. or at creation. I don't know. It's, it's a little tenuous, um, but it seems possible do either of you have comments about this line every burning star a signal fire of grace i mean uh, to me that that has a a nice poetry to it in the sense that i don't know it sounds nice like there, there's there's creation is actually demonstrating something about god although i i just wondered <laughs> I don't know, why would a burning star be a signal fire of grace? I think that sounds really nice and that sounds beautiful, mm. but why grace? And why, what does the star actually communicate about God's grace? I get what it says about creation, that, that God created that thing, and maybe that that is an indication maybe of God's power, maybe even a sign of God's goodness. But I was wondering why grace in particular, and that's not to pick at it. I'm just wondering if folks have a thought, yeah. Stephen, you have a well, thought. So the, the first thing I put in my notes is that this reminds me of the scene in the return of the King, Lord of the Rings, where the beacons of yes. Gondor are lit. Like it's a very mm. like triumphant, like we have a message to send and we're going to send it out there bright. Right. Um, mm. The, uh, the, the second thing I, I wrote down was kind of the way theologians will talk about different concepts of grace and I wonder if what what every star is placed in the sky or placed in the universe to communicate to us is this idea of um, what theologians call prevenient grace, right? The grace that just like mm. pervades everything. And this is what, this is God's grace that continues to sustain the universe as we know it and keep us alive and allow us to have an experience as an individual. Um, so why, I, I think a star could represent that in the sense of, again, our star provides us light and warmth and energy to our planet that sustains our life, right? It keeps our photos, the uh, process of photosynthesis running for us, which thereby gives us the oxygen and the carbon dioxide to constantly recycle with our ecosystems. So um, just the way that maybe a burning star is a, uh, a sustainer of life as we know it on our planet. Um, hmm. I think that could be, I mean, certainly it could be a daily reminder. I'm reminded of like traditions in Celtic Christianity that speak of mm -hmm. the sun kind of representing, um, you know, the sun isn't God, but the, the creator behind the sun is what continues to sustain us. And the sun gets to represent that for us. Mm. My mind went to Psalm eight. Uh, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Oh. So, um, when, when I think of this, um, I, per, so personally, it, this line um, just struck me. I, I, I just didn't like this line, but I don't think that that's a good reason to um, dock it. Like, I think it's fine. It's just... Like, just, just for no reason didn't like no, it, or just... because my mind also went to the signal fires of Gondor, and I thought, <laughs> well, that was an alarm. Like, you know, in, oh, if, yeah. if, uh, if these forest watchtowers light up on fire, it tells everyone there's a fire somewhere in the forest. Or if there's a fire, you know, on on a big pyre on a hill, it's alerting people that there's a war okay. or an yeah. enemy. So a signal fire means like we need help kind of thing, not well, help is coming. I think that's that's where my mind went, but I don't think it necessarily has to be. It didn't say a warning fire. It's just a signal fire. Yeah. It could be a greeting. It could be... Yeah any other kind of beacon um, yeah so i but um if if looking at the heavens humbles us and calls us to 
meditate on how God could even mind us infinitesimally small in comparison. Yeah. Um, I think that is a signal of his grace to us. Yeah, I like that. All right, and then so we, then... We oh, have some ahead. of these if-then if conditionals, right? So if, ah. um, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If creation sings her praises, so will I, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that seems reasonable to me. That's, that's kind of what... That's what we should do, because we should see that the world is... Has, is glorifying God, and we should therefore recognize, number one, that there is a God, um, and that we were also created to glorify him. I think there's kind of a logic there. And that, that lines up with sentiments that we see in yeah. Scripture as well. Yeah, it. I this, this is clearly the motif of the song, right? This is the actual title, not the subtitle of a hundred billion times, but mm-hmm. this idea of, um, you know, if I'm paying attention to the rhythms of nature well enough, I can see that there's an intended order of things that um, mm-hmm. maybe we only have echoes of post-fall, right? But um, mm-hmm. as long as I have evidence, <clears throat> excuse me, but as long as I have evidence of nature proclaiming the greatness of God and giving mm. him the worship that he is duly worthy of, then it's, it mm. almost feels like, yeah, sign me up for that. Like in an Isaiah mm. six way of like, here I am, like send mm. me into it too. Like I will gladly join the, the choir of creation here. Mm. God of your promise, you don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or You have spoken on nature and science. Follow the sound of your voice. God of your promise, you don't speak in vain. No syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follows the sound of your voice. Stephen, any thoughts about these lines? Oh, man. The first one... I really liked the idea, and I don't know if many other worship songs, you guys would probably be the experts to ask, but like this idea of God not speaking in vain, um, that mm. like the, there's passages in Numbers and Isaiah, you know, that speak to um, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about like God, uh, oh yeah, it goes on, has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken mm-hmm. and will he not make it good? Or Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. Like just the idea of like God's, when God speaks, he, he sees what he wants to have happen. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. certainly we could, we could start talking about all sorts of philosophical free will versus predestination or anything like that. But like when, when God speaks mm-hmm. and desires a flourishing creation, um, one way or another, he'll get that. And I think the song is going to get to a point where like, and, and God himself through Jesus will go to great lengths to set things right for us again. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I also just love the very heavy foreshadowing of the next chorus by just throwing the word science in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, you were talking about the emphasis on yeah, kind of the idea that words matter. Mm-hmm. So they're they're saying God doesn't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. Um, and you know, we have second we have obviously a well-known passage, Second Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. There's that breath again, um, profitable for teaching, et cetera. Now that's not that's not saying every word, but I think that's the implication there. All scripture, all word of God, all words that God speaks. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's our view on this podcast, that that the art, you know, whether it's a definite or an indefinite article, whether it's pronouns, like all these sorts of things matter yeah. um, in the way that, that we speak about God and to God and the way that we read the words that God has spoken to. Tyler? Yeah, I... I... Personally, I really like the the line, no syllable empty or void. Um, in contrast to all the stuff that was empty <laughs> and void and without form, God's word uh, does not even waste a syllable. I, yeah. I like that quite a bit. I thought you were going to um, go for in contrast to many other worship songs that are full of... It's <laughs> <laughs> well, a snarky thing to say. Personally, I, I definitely personally I'm that. not convinced that that first verse didn't have some... Um, Guilty of that uh, a little bit, but... Yeah. Uh, hollow syllables. Maybe not empty, but... 
Like there's like a husk. Sure. Mm. Yeah, and also, you know, so God's precise in his words and his words do things. So mm-hmm. all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. So yeah. God's words are precise and God's words also cause things to happen, not the other way around. And I think maybe, Tyler, you talked about uh, God having no point of reference. I interpreted that as maybe referring to this philosophical idea about cause and effect, that one of the, you know, the big arguments about the existence of God is, can you have a first thing? Can you have an immovable mover? Can you have um, something that came into being without being cause to come into being. And I I think that's kind of what this is talking about. I think this is a way of saying that God is the one that does things. His word, his speaking is the cause of creation. God is himself not a created Mm -hmm. being. It's also the first time the line or the lyric explicitly um, engages the sense of hearing. Like we have light, so certainly sense of vision. Um, But I think of the sense of hearing being engaged now, like Mm -hmm. we're following the sound of their voice even in the sense of like uh, blind in our sin, we follow the voice of God to redemption, right? Like mm-hmm. um, that yeah. sense of trusting the sound of someone saying like, follow the sound of my voice, come here. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say, every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. Tyler, thoughts about this? Okay, um, I think these hundred billion creatures, again, big number, figurative, they're catching God's breath that they're um, being filled with the spirit of life. Um, yeah. So we clever, isn't it? Living beings, yeah. Creeping and crawling and swimming and, you know, doing whatever they do. Yeah. Um, I think uh-huh. the the word that probably stands out the most here, of course, evolving. <laughs> um, I don't know why that had to be here. Uh, and uh, I don't, I can't think of a church that you could sing this in where you wouldn't um i don't know upset someone's cheerios by some feathers um, yeah and um i i also just don't even know what it means in context really Hmm. evolving in pursuit of what you said um they the creatures are evolving and they're pursuing something what is the object of their pursuit well it's what you said well that's a relative clause what is the what that he said Uh, it's also the first past tense of like we're saying as you speak, it's it's all very active, like God is speaking. And now we have a line of saying like, you said something and that Whoa. is maybe the point of reference that everything is referring back to, but it's not active speaking anymore, um, which I thought was very interesting. I think the I, there, there are so many ways that I am tempted to be charitable with this. I mean, you know, I have screenshots of all of Joel Houston's tweets uh, that he got kind of roasted for trying to justify these. Can you read them? Oh yeah, I definitely can. Can you read some of them? (laughs) Um, But I think in general, when we're talking about like what you said, I, in the most charitable way possible, I want to say like creation and creatures evolving in pursuit of it is good. Like, Like creation just continually looking to embody the it is goodness of what we're all participating in. That's like, if we want to say like what you said, he says it is good a lot, right? In the Genesis narrative. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can lean on that. I'm not quite sure. But so uh, Joel Houston, um, he's like the main leader of Hillsong uh, Worship. Hillsong United, actually, the band. Um, he went after this song went out, uh, got quite a bit of criticism for it, as you might expect from pastors and worship leaders and laity alike. Uh, he tweeted a series of tweets here. Um 
So I quote, Evolution is undeniable, created by God as a reflective means of displaying nature's pattern of renewal in pursuance of God's word, an ode to the nature of the creative God it reflects, and only ever in part, not the source, in all caps, source. Um, Mm -hmm. Science and faith aren't at odds. God created the Big Bang was like, that's where he starts. Wow. Uh, he created a thread out of this tweet and he said, here's some context. Things evolve, they change and adapt. I don't believe in evolution as a theory of source. I believe it's merely a pattern of nature created by God, reflecting nature's desire for renewal, survival, new life. Something and someone made this, and that is God. Um, he also went on to say, I think what gets lost strang- strangely enough is that in any case, the word, capital W word, comes before any kind of big bang. So let there be light and boom, there was. Hmm. That is fascinating to me. So if you hadn't have read those tweets, I would have... So when you started talking about past tense, that just light bulb went off. And I was thinking, well, so it seems like he was saying... Uh, and, and is he the writer of this song? Oh, that's actually a great question. I'm not sure if he was. Okay. Um, be an odd thing to come to the defense of if you didn't. Write well, it. yeah. I, I think I being mean, I, well, like the figurehead of the whole music okay. organization, I think he probably felt a duty. Let me. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me put it this way. So the it seemed to me like the writer of the song. When, when, once I heard what you said, I thought, okay, that's significant that the past tense was used because what you have is. Uh, what was God said was in the past. So, and and what what God had said in the past in this song is creative words, words that made things. So it, it seemed to imply this, you know, a kind of um, uh, intelligent design evolution synergy, which is God creates the world and then maybe creates the rules of the world and nature, and then evolution happens and. So God ordains the process of evolution, but you know we can we can see evolution as a evolution is a thing. Like right. it's not um, it, you know, and and I, I it almost seems like that's what he's saying. But then based on the tweets, that that definitely was what he was saying. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that definitely was what what the song yeah. was meant to say, say. Okay, interesting. So I mean, I wonder is this a song? I wonder if that was something that was just kind of put in the song that was about creation or is this song like actually trying, is this song just kind of a vehicle to actually put forward this particular view and maybe normalize it, you know, or maybe, you know, use music to, it's like almost, and this is, this is previewing something that I will bring up later. It's almost like the anti Louis Giglio thing where what he did was he, uh, he talked, he used science and then he would say, is it, this just tells us how big God is and how amazing God yeah. is and blah, 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 blah. Whereas it almost seems like this song may be trying to say, um, yeah, we got creation and you know God is doing things, but actually um, evolution is a thing. It's a legitimate thing. And we this is a spiritual thing. We should see evolution, not just as science, mm-hmm. but something spiritual. Oh, like in the sense of spiritual growth. Yeah. Yeah. But also just as a, um, we don't need to see this as something that is in opposition to intelligent design or creation, that this is actually something uh, that can be recovered in some way and incorporated into the faith and maybe even is um, uh, good, I guess you might say, or glorifies God in some way. Um, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I oh man I I wish we had more time to talk about this um so um I I can respect the desire to make a particular uh cosmology which seems um reasonable um uh, palatable to more Christians who might be initially opposed to it maybe they have a knee jerk reaction uh to it um but at the same time I would wonder so in Joel Houston, he says Houston and not Houston. It's like the Texan way and not the New York way. Right. Well, I mean, they're Um, all Australian, so who really knows? (laughs) Okay, Joe Houston. um, He says science and faith are not opposed to one another, right? Uh, Yeah, science and faith are not at odds. Okay, that I think is a false choice. So he's he has set up a false dichotomy where I I must accept the theory of um, evolution in order to accord with uh, his definition of science. And I think if we take um, 
If we take a broader perspective, we can see even scientific perspectives on this change over time. In 1917, Albert Einstein created a, a cosmology, published a cosmology which would have space being uh, created at the Big Bang, but time being eternal past and eternal future. This has since been rejected by a lot of scientists. Like, I think it is a false choice to say, um, I created something that is science, and if you don't like it, then you are clearly falling prey to this false choice mm. uh, that is faith versus science. It's like, no, this is, this is one uh, perspective, and... People can have a lot of perspectives on this with good, good reasons. Smart people can. And, uh, I don't like, I, I would love to see Joel Houston also write a song, uh, that had a young earth creationist perspective and then make a bunch of, uh, old earth creationists sing it and say, well, look, you know, faith and science don't have to be at odds. Like you can just believe and it like, does, am I making any sense here? Um, and I don't like, I can see that the tweets clarify his his um, goal, right? His goal was to kind of bring these uh, together, but we don't look at tweets in in <laughs> church. We don't sing tweets. Uh, tweets may clarify what he meant, but what we have is this text, and the text is, and as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. Um, so, yeah, you can read from that, uh, he created all the creatures, and a hundred billion of them then became alive and started evolving. But I don't even think that's what um, a lot of naturalists would say either. So I just don't understand what the the, the end game is here. It's like he, he's going to get the young Earth creationists mad, <laughs> but he's not really going to convince any naturalists, I don't think, that the life in a hundred billion different creatures is uh, from from God. Am I missing something? I, th I think what gets lost, too, is that the idea of uh the intent of science is to constantly prove each other wrong in pursuit of the way things actually are so science is inherently or uh, the best of science is inherently self-correcting so like as we gain more information and I, I i think what he may be saying is like we're gonna continue to learn more and we but we don't need to be threatened by the fact that there are other ideas out there so like science will continue to self-correct in the same way i would argue that our faith ought to be self-correcting as we encounter other christians in our lives as well right like as we do the work yeah. to um work out our faith in fear and trembling as it were in that whole group again in the same way that i really liked the imagery of the signal fire of grace i like every painted sky a canvas of your grace it's just for me it's just continually reinforcing this idea that like we can we can look out any window we want to and see the sky that is uh, a canvas or like um a method of oh, like almost communication in a way like god can communicate to us through beauty um and that god is still creating that for us even in the sense of like uh, the the way the rainbow is a symbol for us and is a beauty to us, right? The way the light, there's the wonder of light again too. The way the light reflects through the vapor in the air. Like, yeah, I, I just like that. Uh, I like the idea of God continuing to create uh, even just something like art for us, for our enjoyment. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow down in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. Uh, I forget who I'm asking now. Stephen, what do you what do you think about this? Um, this bridge 
uh, like I'll, I'll speak to it musically first, the way they build this bridge mm. and then immediately pull the rug out from under us and go to a very soft verse next um, is very powerful, especially the way he kind of rips into the lyric. Like if the oceans roar, um, mm-hmm. very good. I think this bridge just kind of serves us to uh, just compile all these metaphors. And honestly, there's quite a lot of scripture to say like the mountains will melt before the <laughs> Lord. Right. Or, Oh yeah. Um, if, if the praises of his people aren't heard, then the rocks will do the work for us. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tyler. I agree. Excellent. <laughs> God of salvation, chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world. Abandoned in darkness to die. God of salvation, you chase down my heart through all my failure and pride on a hill you created, comma, the light of the world, <laughs> abandoned in darkness to die. Tyler, you still have a problem with any of this, or what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I like this image of God chasing down my heart. He's the God of salvation. I like that mm-hmm. too. Uh, he's the one who saves us. Um, he chases us down through failure and pride. I wish, I, I kind of wish they'd said sin or something like that, but okay. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, when I first read this, of course, I, I guess I, I read this as being, you created the light of the world. I bracketed it differently than Stephen has and I, than, and then the song has. Um, I think I would take some issue with abandoned here. Um, okay. but this is like a, this is an old, thing that we've talked about on the podcast a few times um was christ abandoned yeah um on the or cross forsaken yeah um I, I do think perhaps there's some scriptural basis for this um especially if you take it in context with abandoned in darkness because in psalm 88 at the very very end this very troubling psalm of lament um the psalmist says um O lord why do you cast my soul away why do you hide your face from me afflicted and close to death from my youth mm. up I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness or, um, different translation, darkness has become my only companion. Mm. So I, I wonder if that's kind of what's being hinted at here. Yeah. I, so the, the chasing imagery, it just screams Luke 15 to me, right? The parables of the lost sheep and the lost mm-hmm. coin and the lost son, or the prodigal son is a lot mm-hmm. of people call it just like, yeah, that imagery of the mm-hmm. father meeting the son on the road on his return journey, on his journey of repentance. Um, absolutely beautiful. I, I think if I was allowed to just like claim what I would call my favorite passages in scripture, it's Luke 15, because I think those parables mm. do so much to teach us what the heart of God is like. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And what abandoned in darkness, I know, I know we've, uh, this has come up on the podcast before this idea of like the Trinity somehow being rend into or mm-hmm. a, a part of the Trinity being actually separated um, is something we take issue with, which quite honestly, I take issue with as well. Um, I think the mm-hmm. felt sense or the felt sense of abandonment was certainly something that Jesus experienced. Um, if sure. anything else. Right. Um, and also mm-hmm. that idea of abandoned in darkness. Uh, I just think of the way um, like the darkness literally set in on the day of the crucifixion. Right. Like as he was laboring to breathe his last, like the darkness set in before the veil was torn and the earth shook and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. We well, you lost your life so I can find it here. And if you left the grave behind you so alive. As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I see your heart. 
I can see your heart eight billion different ways, every precious one, a child you died to save if you gave your life to love them, so will I. Tyler, thoughts about this set of lines? Yeah, I think the 100 billion failures disappearing must be a reference to the atonement. It's, it's making 100 billion sins uh, be wiped away. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think it's a, a circumlocution to say failures, but um, I won't harp on that. Um, I think there's a really cool parallel going on here, or maybe actually ju- juxtaposition, where Christ lost his life I find it here. Um, Christ is resurrected, therefore I will also be resurrected. This is also something Paul says, that our hope of resurrection is Christ's resurrection, for if he did not rise from the dead, then our hope is in vain. Um, and then this is there's a kind of refrain on some of the ideas that have been mentioned before, that uh, all of God's work, so this not just his creation, but his work, everything you've done, um, we can see his heart in it we can i think this is figurative of course we can see his um his uh his his desire in all that he's done um his will um every part designed in a work of art called love um i think that it's a little bit wordy and um uh, it's a little bit wordy but you can see all the all of his work is a component in a big tapestry it- uh, that work of art, and that is called. It might love. also be a way to placate people who really want to hold on to intelligent design as the cosmology of the world. And right, we just spoke of evolution, and here's like, mm-hmm. here's the word here's design me giving you the word design to make you again yeah. have the sense of like, see, we can all engage in this song together. Mm. Yes. Now, I wonder if we can all engage in the last four lines of this. This to me was a potential. Felt problem. like it came out of nowhere. Eight. Yes, 8 billion different ways. So what is 8 billion referencing? Well, probably the population of the world, right? So 8 billion different ways, every precious one, a child you died to save, if you gave your life to love them, so will I. So it seems to me without much work, what is being said here is Christ died and gave his life to save all everybody on the planet. Um, maybe I'll just say my my spiel on this now and folks can respond whether they agree or dis- disagree. This is a problem for me. Um, I am not a universalist, uh, so I do not agree uh, that every person of the people that are alive on the planet right now, um, that Christ died to save those people. I think we've got a pretty clear mandate in scripture that uh, some, some go to eternal life uh, some are in Christ and some are not, and uh, and this is this is kind of the way that it is. So to say otherwise, I think is a is a real problem. I don't know Tyler or um, maybe Stephen if you guys have thoughts on that. So in- initially, if I may, Stephen, initially I was with you, Colin, but I don't think it's saying as much as you're you're attributing okay. to it. It says um, eight billion different ways every precious one a child you died to save. So I think we're dealing here with another atonement idea, um, but instead of being limited, it's an unlimited atonement, right? All okay. these people are included in the atonement, but they may not all be saved, right? It's the difference between atonement and salvation. So yeah, maybe he died to save them, but like in an Arminian perspective, they have to uh, they have to respond in faith in order to be saved. Does that make sense? Hmm. Um, okay. I'll let Stephen weigh in here too, and then Maybe I'll maybe you'll see where this goes. Yeah, go well, ahead, Stephen. I, I would hate to extend our time here because I know uh, Tyler has to go. So um, <laughs> yes, this is something that maybe we could engage with. I don't know if you guys are on Twitter, but like if we wanted to keep a conversation going or if someone wanted to talk to me, I describe myself as uh, what I again charitably like to call a hopeful universalist. In that I okay, I really hope the idea of Christian universalism is how this all works out. Uh, that being said, um, the, a theology of hell that's more along the lines of like conditional immortality or what people call annihilationism is mm-hmm. uh, what I was first um, introduced to as an alternative to something like eternal conscious torment when I was uh, really mm-hmm. growing in my uh, sense of theology. So kind of that evolution. Um, uh, again, if that's the heart behind it, like, I, I could read it both ways. I think I think Tyler brings mm-hmm. a great nuance for unlimited atonement being available, but it requires our, our mm-hmm. free choice and free will acceptance mm-hmm. of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think there's many, many, many conversations that we could have about hopeful universalism <laughs> at that point. But uh, yeah, yes. I'll, 
and have had over centuries Absolutely. too. So I'll leave it there. Yeah. Okay, good. So yeah, okay. And, and I'll, I'll just say briefly in response to you, Tyler, because I did say I'd get back. I, I think that's possible. I, do, I think what you're saying is possible that this is uh, more of a describing Christ's death as creating an opportunity rather than, I guess, like creating a people right? That maybe they're they're making an Arminian point, which isn't, I can accept an Arminian view as maybe wayward or not, you know, maybe missing the mark. Um, and so maybe, maybe that is what this is saying. Um, so fair point. I cured again a hundred billion times But what measure could amount to your desire like you would again a hundred billion times, but what measure could amount to your desire, you're the one who never leaves the one behind. So Stephen, it looks like we may have Luke or John 15 coming in here, the parable of the lost sheep. Yeah, we have Luke 15 yep. back. Absolutely. Although, is this, Tyler, do you think this is an accurate? I wasn't sure if this was a fully accurate representation of, of that parable. What What do you think? Oh, you mean because the father stays at home and the son has to return to his house? Or um, what? Well, if this is a reference to the lost sheep, for example. Um, so let's take John 15's uh, view, version of that, because that one mentions in verse 7 um, just Jesus explains the parable. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents hmm. than over 99 righteous persons who need uh. no repentance. So it's not just about God going after anybody that's lost. Um, it's, it's about, um, you know, th there's, there is a fence that's placed around, right? So, so these are, this is about repentance, but it's, it's about God's pursuit, but God just doesn't pursue with pursue without limits. There, he's is pursuing those who repents. And again, whether you're an Arminian and you believe that repentance is something we do, you know, or whether you're more on the Calvinistic bent where you think that repentance is even a gift that God gives us, okay, I won't quibble about that. But repentance is clearly mm. there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Other thoughts about this? So this tag, I uh, actually my main problem with the song. Um, like they sneak it in right at the end is this idea like, like you would again, a hundred billion times, I think is fine to communicate some form of sentiment, like God saying like, and I would do it again because I love you that much. Like I'll go through all the heartbreak again because I love you that much. Um, but I think we're at a danger of insinuating that Christ's work wasn't final on the cross mm, or, or satisfactory. The, wow. And, um, that bothers me. <laughs> yes. That's interesting. It's, I, I, I feel you. And I thought that too, Stephen. It, it's, it seems to be saying, oh yeah, it's in your character to do X and right. Y and Z. Um, you would do this a million times, but there isn't a conceivable universe in which he would need to do this a hundred billion times. You don't need mm. to. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Any other yeah. thoughts about uh, this song or this set of lines from folks? I, I, I just find it, I find it kind of provocative. I, like, it, and not in a help, like it's not like provoking people to turn to scripture and contemplate um, the truth of sin. It seems like it's 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 really it seems like it wanted to be a part of the culture war, even though no one was asking for it. That's kind of what I got out of it. But well, okay, and there's a place for that in the church, right? Like there is a sense in which it's good for people to have these conversations, and the church should be a place where these conversations could be had. But maybe not in the worship music. I mean, yeah. don't you think? Bring, I mean, bring these lyrics and bring the, these ideas to a small group and allow a dialogue. Yeah, right. Have a conversation where you can yeah. pull on a thread, ravel that out, and figure out really like, okay, what are we saying? I, this exercise was fantastic for me. I, like, my notes are riddled mm. with scripture references that I like. I haven't brought those mm -hmm. scriptures to mind in so long, mm -hmm. um, just in my my everyday. So like, really being forced mm -hmm. to like go through and say like, oh, what does this remind me of? Like, I'm familiar with something mm -hmm. like this in, in scripture, um, was a fantastic mm -hmm. exercise, but yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe the, the time to, um, throw a firework in the room and close the door behind you is not mm. before mm. the <laughs> sermon starts, <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's see if we have any fireworks with the ratings. I wonder if we'll have different ratings. Tyler, I'll start with you. What was your rating for this song? 
Um, well, it was going to be one because I thought it was going to be heretical and, and say uh, Christ was made. But uh, Stephen corrected me. So thank you for that. But I, I don't it doesn't clear the bar for me. Um, I think it is a little bit just too careless with language in some places, too vague, too ambiguous. Um, so I'm going to give it two out of five string quartets because there's a really nice string quartet um, playing along with the music. It's very, very beautiful sound. Okay. Steven, yeah, what about you? I, so I think I kind of covered this in our interview last week, but my engagement with worship music lately is a lot more, it almost feels devotional in the sense of if mm -hmm. I'm going to spend some time encountering uh, worship music in as a way to facilitate like a moment of worship with God, it's typically going to be alone anymore. As a musician, it's very hard for me to mm -hmm. even like not critique the other musicians who are playing if I'm not playing while I'm in a congregational setting. So mm -hmm. listening to this song has, has a way, like I said, of keeping my mind engaged with all the, all the metaphors it's trying to employ. Some would argue successfully, some would not, um, all the scripture references it brings to mind. So, um, in the way that it, it, uh, provokes me to continue thinking and doesn't necessarily fall on like a, an extremely repeatable lyric in a chorus to just kind of trance me or drone on. Um, it keeps me engaged. So I am choosing to give it four beacons of Gondor. <laughs> Gondor <laughs> calls for aid. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's good. Uh, well, uh, so I won't split the difference, actually. I'm going to, I mean, I've already hinted kind of. The, the, the non-negotiable for me was that last bit there, every... Eight billion, every precious one, a child you died to save. I appreciate Tyler's comments on that. I'm not fully convinced by them. I also have some concern with the, yeah, the imposition of things into worship music that are immediately going to be, yeah, firework oriented. So this for me was a one out of five indescribables. Wow. So, and again, th this is the opposite. Yeah, this is the opposite of the Giglio Tom, Tom, uh, Tomlin thing. Um, so indescribables as a reference to that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, when I, I was thinking about saying, um, just sing greatest thy faithfulness instead, but I decided <laughs> not to. So it's funny that you also thought of it like an alternative because I was thinking mm. of summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars and their courses Absolutely. above. And it sounds like or you were all thinking creatures of, of our God and King as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a really yeah. uh, fun experience. And Stephen, I want to really say valuable. a special, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your views, right, you know, uh, enduring a podcast with us. And uh, we really are grateful for your time. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, even though I did reveal like right at the very end that I might be heretical in some ways, but <laughs> <laughs> that, I appreciate that's okay. the welcome. That, that is totally fine. You know, Tyler uh, looks confused. That's my nod to hopeful universalism. My, oh, uh, my uh, take uh, well, there. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, we, all right. We well, really appreciate all of your thoughtful comments on this song yeah. and also last week too, on that episode too. It yeah. was just really, really good. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me. And thanks folks for listening. You can, uh, you know, please do, uh, look us up on Twitter, engage with us, and also check out Stephen's podcast, Ravel, and No Normal People. Uh, his podcast, No Normal People, as well. Check those out. Uh, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.